Hi, I'm Deepa, functional nutritionist and yogini who's so passionate about sleep. You're listening to another fantastic episode of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. This episode is with another dear friend of mine. And amazing information is what you'll get when you bring two colleagues who are also friends together. This whole episode is unscripted and we allow the universe to guide our conversation towards wherever it is meant to go. Think of this episode as that magic school bus ride through your gut. What is leaky gut? What are the three layers of your gut? What kinds of symptoms can leaky gut cause and how does this affect sleep? What are the five causes of leaky gut? What is SIBO? How is SIBO a cause of leaky gut and how can we confirm if it's SIBO? If you've been confused over your health, let us help you have that deep understanding over what's happening within your gut. And Lemons is a certified functional medicine, nutrition and lifestyle practitioner near Boston. As a physical therapist for over 35 years, she has always been fascinated and intrigued with the physiology and mechanics of the human body. For this reason, she was drawn to the scientific approach of the Kalish method of functional medicine and completed the standard and advanced training, including the interpretation and use of the organic acids test and is also certified as a functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner through Andrea Nakayama and the Functional Nutrition Alliance program. Due to the increasing number of cases in her practice with SIBO, she has done advanced training in the area with Dr. Alison C. Becker, an expert and world leader in the education of SIBO. She is passionate about educating and empowering individuals with the knowledge and tools to help prevent chronic disease and be advocates of their own health. Take a listen to this amazing episode number 51 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. And it's my greatest pleasure to have you today on the Sleep Whisperer podcast because we are good friends. We've had amazing conversations outside for such a long time and we've been trying to plan this for so long. So I know that this is a really important subject and we've never discussed it before on the show. So we're talking about healing your gut for better sleep and you've been so immersed in leaky gut, gut protocol, SIBO diagnosis, your specialty is all about gut health and I can definitely admit that 
it's a little far away from me because I don't think I bring that much of attention to gut. Uh, so I'm waiting to learn a lot from you today. And I think this is going to be truly the masterclass on gut health. Um, but tell me why gut health, why this area of focus, what brought you into this field and um, why this passion about starting with the gut? Thank you for that. And, you know, as practitioners, many of us have had our own chronic health issues, right? And this becomes the driver to enter this arena and really help other people and educate them. And this was happening to me. I was having digestive issues. I had chronic fatigue. I had body pain. And the problem was that all of my labs looked normal, right? I looked great on paper but I felt terrible and I was really just getting by and I was propping myself up with caffeine and sugar. And the only thing that I was being offered were medications to really suppress symptoms. And I didn't want that. I wanted to understand why I wanted to get to the root cause of that. And when I started to dig deeper, what I found is that I had a massive bacterial overgrowth in my gut or SIBO. And we can get into that a little bit later. Um, and what was happening with this overgrowth, it wasn't allowing me to absorb my nutrients. It was causing the fatigue, it was causing the pain. And so what we're finding is that gut issues and leaky gut specifically um, is often one of the root causes of so many chronic health conditions. So that's how I really um, started to get into this, this field and this practice. So many people come for reasons like they're tired. You know, the common complaints are they're tired, um, they're gaining weight and they can't figure out, you know, they've done everything, uh, but they just can't get the weight to come off or they're having hormonal issues. And what happens is I start to dig deeper um, and look at, you know, what's happening in the gut. Um, I, I start to uncover you know, some of these gut issues like leaky gut. Leaky gut is really the layman's term, right? That's not the official term. The official term is intestinal permeability. And actually that is pretty prevalent in the research and the literature. You can, you can find many studies on intestinal permeability. Um, and so I wanna, I wanna let you know a little bit more about what that is. Um, and so just to kind of give you some context here, if you think about your digestive tract as one long garden hose and inside that hose, there's a lining and that lining is one cell thick and it's held together by something called tight junctions, right? And this lining has two functions. It allows us to be, it's a protective layer. So it protects us from things that are coming into the body. And it's also a selective absorber. So it helps us to absorb nutrients, electrolytes, and fluids. And if you think of the intestinal lining, I like to, to show my patients this, as like a coffee filter, right? Mm. It's, just a, it's like a coffee filter you'd put in your coffee pot. Um, and so what we want is we want the grounds to stay inside and the grounds, those are your large food particles, your toxins, your bacteria, your chemicals, 
um, parasites, and then we want you know the good stuff to come through. We just want the coffee to come through. So those would be our nutrients, right, in our fluids. Um, and that lining has three layers of defense. It has a mucus layer, it has an immune layer, and it has a bacterial layer, a good bacterial layer. And when one of those barriers breaks down, and we'll discuss why they break down in a minute, but when they break down, now those junctions start to come apart, right? And now the things that should be staying inside the digestive tract are leaking through that gut wall where 60 to 80% of our immune system is located. And then this can create, um, really it can create local issues, but it can also create more systemic issues once that starts going through there. Um, and it's really interesting, Deepa, because when we are working with people that have leaky gut or intestinal permeability, we can also find that these people have issues with barriers in their life, creating boundaries in their life, right? There's internal barriers and there's the external barriers. And I know for me, that was true for me too. I had to, when I was healing my gut, I needed to work on those boundaries as well. So we're working with not only the, the physical, the physiology, but we're working sort of in the psycho-spiritual piece as well. So it's really, really interesting. And leaky gut leads to all kinds of symptoms. And um, I was, yes, I want to talk about that. And I must totally resonate with the aspect of setting boundaries. Um, and I can definitely relate to the time when I had chronic health issues and I just could not say no. I was such a people pleaser and lately I've gotten so much better at setting those boundaries. And I think that can also be a great way for people to even think into whether they are in a state of um, chronic health uh, issues, even if they're not having symptoms that are screaming out loud. Um, so I do want us to talk about what are the kind of symptoms that somebody would experience if they had intestinal permeability and maybe they don't know, maybe they've never been to a practitioner. Uh, maybe um, sometimes I do find that at least among my client population, that term is still very, very new. Uh, they're not aware of it at all. And I've had clients who have been uh, doctors themselves who find this term very, very new. Uh, so what are the symptoms so that people could actually relate to it on a personal level and think into whether it might be a possibility that they have um, permeable intestine? Absolutely. And I think... Um... This is, this is where we see it in our, in our practice, right? Because we see, I'm gonna tell you about the symptoms, but when we see these symptoms and we start working with the gut, these, the symptoms go away. So we know that the gut is, is so much of that responsibility. So what we're seeing typically with leaky gut, um, it may start off as like local gut issues. So you may be seeing more of gas or bloating, uh, pain, diarrhea, constipation, but then, you know, as it progresses a little bit, 
you'll start to see more food sensitivities, right? So how many people do we know that have sensitivities to foods? Um, and so that's a big, um, almost like a first step that can happen. And then we start to see that systemic um, progression. So we can see things, inflammation show up on the skin in terms of acne. So how many you know, teens with acne do we have? Um, you can see uh, rosacea, psoriasis, um, eczema, hives. Hives is a really big sign that something is happening in the gut. Um, so skin is a big place to be thinking about um, what's going on in my gut. And then we have a body pain or joint pain. So that was me. I had sort of all over body pain. Um, I wasn't thinking it was my gut, but that's really where the source was. Um, fatigue, mood issues. So anything happening with the brain, we need to also be considering what's happening in the gut because they are so connected. And of course that will affect our sleep. It will affect our energy. It starts to affect the endocrine system or the hormonal system. So we start to see issues with thyroid, with adrenals, with female hormones. And then if this goes on long enough, if leaky gut goes on long enough, it can lead to autoimmune disease. It can be a trigger for autoimmune disease. So that's a lot of symptoms that we really need to start saying, you know, well, what's happening in the gut and how do we get those barriers stronger? All right, so um, specifically for sleep, if we are not absorbing well, right? So that barrier is broken down and we're not absorbing well, then we're not gonna be able to absorb those raw materials that we need to make those chemicals, right? Like serotonin to metabolize into melatonin. So we don't have those raw materials. And we know that serotonin and 95%, 90 to 95% of it is made in the gut. It regulates digestive secretions, it regulates peristalsis, and our perception of pain. So with leaky gut, we can have more visceral pain, right? Like abdominal pain. And so this is where we see folks with abdominal pain or visceral hypersensitivity, and that can wake them up at night. So mm -hmm. th that's sort of the connection between um, you know, some of these, these symptoms and leaky gut and the connection to sleep. So uh, this is something that I see often in my practice for, because I'm seeing a lot of gut issues um, that people are waking up in the night because of this hypersensitivity going on. So that, I mean, there's, that's a lot of areas that we can um, back up to, you know, the gut as being one of the root causes. Wow. Yeah, for sure. In my case, it was all those skin issues that you listed out, hives and um, everything, acne, hives, eczema, psoriasis. I think it was the works for about a decade. And uh, all, the, all that wow. was done for me was just pumped me full of steroids and uh, just kind of suppressed the symptoms down. It was alarming. And I, when I look at my son today, for the smallest little thing, I'm always wishing that, oh my God, I could have, had I had someone who had this kind of awareness, I wouldn't have had to go through any of this. So 
on that note, can you actually guide us through what are all the potential causes for leaky gut? Because I'm sure that a lot of us are actually doing some of those things. Maybe we don't really know if uh, we are triggering it for ourselves, maybe in some way, but what are the causes of it? Sure, I'd love to tell you about the causes. I'll give you five causes um, that I see most often. So I'd say the number one cause is stress. This is, you know, emotional stress. It could be physical stress. It could be lack of sleep. Mm. So can cause lack of sleep, but lack of sleep can do the same thing. So they can be bi-directional, right? Yes. So um, any of things, any of these things can really cause the gut to be leaky. And what happens with stress is it increases cortisol levels in the body. And cortisol over long periods of time, it can start to become catabolic or um, put the body in this breakdown state, right? And so what happens with stress is number one, it starts to decrease immune protection. Remember those three layers? Mm. It starts to decrease one of those layers, all right? then it also changes the microbiota or the bacteria in the gut. All right, there's another layer, right? This is just stress. So it changes the microbiota, it changes the um, immune protection and stress lowers stomach acid. So now we, have, we're not, we don't have the ability to break down our proteins, right? But we need those, those are the, the constituents of making our, our chemicals that we need to sleep, but it's also um, not protecting us anymore. We need acid to kill things coming into the body like um, viruses and bacteria and parasites. And if those aren't killed, they become um, inflammatory in the gut and create leaky gut. Um, and then acid, it's that great trigger for releasing digestive enzymes and bile acids. It has this beautiful domino effect that we need in order to be absorbing things really well. And then the last thing stress does is it alters motility. So motility is the speed at which food moves through and out of the body. And with stress, it can either speed that up or slow that down. And what can happen with that is there can be a, a backup of bacteria and that becomes the stimulus for leaky gut. All right, so um, that's number one, stress. I would say top reason for leaky gut and all because of all those mechanisms. And then we have inflammatory foods, number two, inflammatory foods. And you know, I had to think about what's happening right now with the pandemic. What are people reaching for the most? Mm. The most they're reaching in my practice, I'm sure in your practice, sugar and alcohol. So I would say those are top two inflammatory foods. And that's why we are seeing a real exacerbation of symptoms. I'm seeing in my practice, I'm sure you are too, because of People are reaching for you know, that kind of comfort, comfort foods. Um, the processed foods obviously have a lot of sugar in them. Um, gluten and dairy can also be very inflammatory too. So I would say you know, inflammatory foods would be number two. And then we're looking at number three, gut infections, overgrowth of bacteria, like in my case, 
and then possibly endotoxins. We'll talk about that in a second. So overgrowth of bacteria or archaea, and in this we're talking about um, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and intestinal methanogen overgrowth. This is a new term now. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so overgrowth of that or candida or mold is a huge trigger for um, inflammation in the gut and causing intestinal permeability. And there's also something called endotoxins or lipopolysaccharides, LPS, you may have heard that term before. Um, these are something that are found on gram-negative bacteria. And there's some controversy over whether this actually causes leaky gut or not. However, we do know if you have leaky gut and these toxins are going through, these LPS are going through, wow, are they inflammatory to the body? This is gonna interfere with sleep. This is gonna cause body symptoms. Um, people will uh, complain of body pain with this. They'll complain of like pins and needles and numbness. It could show up as bladder irritation. So um, very, very inflammatory, um, which is why, you know, so many of these symptoms, I'm always looking at the gut because the, the symptoms are so broad, right? And then the fourth cause I would say are medications. So I'm gonna say overuse of antibiotics. And I know in different parts of the world, uh, some people can self-prescribe. Yes, yes, yes. You can't do that here. Um, and I'll give you my own personal experience with that. When I was a teenager, um, again, hindsight is everything, right? When I was a teenager, I was put on antibiotics for two years for acne. That's a common trend here today, all over. Years, you know, so this substantially changed my microbiome. And this was my trigger for SIBO later in life. So really, really important that we're not wiping out, you know, all this good bacteria by taking antibiotics for long periods of time. They're certainly necessary, um, but we need to be really judicious about when we're using them, right? Um, and then I would also say any of the, the NSAIDs, so the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can be, um, make the, the gut more permeable. Uh, hormonal birth control is also another trigger for leaky gut. And, you know, we probably should even just at least briefly mention proton pump inhibitors. Mm -hmm. These are used quite often and sometimes for many, many years. I mean, I have patients that come to me sometimes they've been on them for 20 years and it becomes a trigger then for bacterial overgrowth. If we're not breaking down our food well, that food, that undigested food becomes food for bacteria to start to overgrow. So we, we have to be kind of looking into the history to see what, what's happening, what kind of medications have people been taking over the course of their life and for how long. And then the fifth one I would say are toxins and environmental exposures. And for this one, I would definitely say glyphosate, which is the main ingredient in Roundup. Um, that's probably the biggest one. It causes a lot of inflammation in the gut. 
and glyphosate acts like an antibiotic. So here we are, you know, taking antibiotics, and then we're we're taking in foods that contain chemicals that are basically doing the same thing. Um, so harming our good gut bacteria, and this the glyphosate is also um, wiping out the good bacteria in our soil. So now our, our food supply has, has been altered as well as the food itself. Um, and then I would say mold, again, mold is another trigger when we're looking at environmental exposures. I mean, and so many of the things that you mentioned, Anne, is some, are things that people are actually doing on a daily basis because uh, I come across a lot of people who actually text me within two days of having a cold to say, isn't it time that I took antibiotics? Uh, and almost 80% of the people who come to me have been on antacids for at least, or proton pump inhibitors for several years uh, and they don't uh, and it's also impactful on sleep because it prevents them from absorbing iron and b12 all key nutrients needed for healthy brain uh, and great sleep so i mean i think these are things that people are uh, it's not uncommon at all uh, right they're not really told about the long-term pieces, you know, so they're not absorbing their calcium, they're, they've got osteoporosis, you know, they're not mm. really making connections. Um, and so I do wanna say though, if you are on a proton pump inhibitor, please don't come abruptly off of it. Yes. Please, with a practitioner, I mean, don't hear this and say, oh, I need to stop my proton pump yes. inhibitor. Find out why you're on a proton pump inhibitor in the first place and work on that and work with that practitioner to very safely and slowly come off of your proton pump inhibitor. I work with people a lot on this. Um, it's just not something you can come off of suddenly. So I do wanna just mention that there, but yes, so many downstream effects from being on these very common medications, over-the-counter medications, right? That people can just be using without even thinking about what's happening downstream. And, you know, the other thing too is, I, I just wanna say that when we're looking, you know, when you're on social media and there's a lot about leaky gut, you know, do these five things to heal your leaky gut. Um, what I want to say here is if you're not getting to those root causes, just you really can't out supplement a leaky gut if you're not addressing those root causes, like your stress, your sleep, you know, inflammatory foods that you're eating, gut bugs or overgrowth, medications or food quality. So we really do need to be you know, looking at all of those things and working methodically to get to those root causes. I agree, Anne, and I think um, people still do not bring as much importance to managing stress. I think it's considered in many areas that it's not so important and sometimes a lot of people also wear stress like a badge of honor. Uh, and I think it's not given the due importance that it should be given. 
simply because it's so powerful in helping you to get over whatever conditions that you're going through. You did mention SIBO, so I want us to have a little bit of time to talk about what is SIBO because I think there's still some misunderstanding over that. Is SIBO a cause of leaky gut or vice versa? How can somebody know if they have SIBO? Okay, great question. So yes, so we're, when we're talking about SIBO here, um, we're talking about small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And now we have a new term, intestinal methanogen overgrowth. They used to be all lumped together, but now they're actually separate. And what this is, it's basically an overgrowth of either bacteria or archaea, which are these single cell organisms that don't have a nuclei. Um, and they're just in the wrong place. They're mm. not bad. They're not bad. They're just, they've been translocated from the large intestine to the small intestine. And the biggest cause of SIBO is food poisoning. So mm. this, is, this is a question, you know, practitioners really need to be asking their patients to find out about a history of food poisoning, especially if they have gut issues, but it, you know, I, I see this with people that don't have gut issues, that have skin issues, um, and they've, they've got SIBO, and they don't really know it. Um, so basically, SIBO falls under this umbrella, right, of irritable bowel syndrome. So some of your listeners may know that term, IBS, right? So that's the umbrella term. It really doesn't tell us much. Yes. Um, it means that someone has abdominal pain, they've got bloating, they've got constipation, they've got diarrhea, they have a mix of both, right? And we know from the research and the literature that two thirds of people with IBS have SIBO, which is a pretty big amount if you think about it, right? Mm. And bloating, I that's the biggest, that's like the key finding in SIBO is bloating. And these are um, the people that will tell me, look, I get up in the morning, my stomach is flat. As soon as they start eating food, I get bigger and bigger. By the end of the day, I look five months pregnant, mm. right? Or I do have people that are bloated just all the time. They wake up bloated, it gets worse during the day. It's just like bloating is just there. So that's a key, key finding of, of um, SIBO. Now, usually this is diagnosed by a certain breath test. And what you do for this breath test is you have a day preparation where you've got a pretty limited diet and then you have an overnight fast. The next day you're drinking a, a sugar solution basically. And so this is not, the sugar is not absorbable by us, but the bacteria and the methanogens can um, eat it and digest it, and then they release a gas, and that gas leaks through the intestines, and then we can actually exhale it. It goes to the lungs, we exhale it, we breathe into tubes um, every 15 or 20 minutes, depends on which test you're doing, over the course of two or three hours. And what we're doing with these tests is we're looking at is there any methane gas? Is there any hydrogen? Or is there any hydrogen sulfide? So this is a gas, this hydrogen sulfide, this is fairly new in that we can actually measure it directly now. There is a new test called the TrioSmart test by Jamelli Labs. So that's kind of really exciting news. 
that's your that's basically your overview of what SIBO is. How do we measure for it? Um, yeah, and okay. I know that may be available in all parts of the world either. Okay, what if somebody has been confirmed that they have SIBO, then what is the way towards resolution? So what's the approach where, uh, obviously this is a big um, path towards a healthy gut and therefore resolution of other symptoms and therefore better sleep as well. So what would be that um, path that somebody would need to take? Okay, great. So basically, I should say, unfortunately, we can't just use diet. Mm. I wish we could, but we really can't just use diet. You really do need to um, go after the bacteria or the methanogen overgrowth in the small intestine. So we're looking at three treatment options. One is herbal antimicrobials, the other are pharmaceuticals, and the third one is called an elemental diet which is like an all liquid diet that people do for two weeks, maybe three weeks. Um, and then, then on top of that, you need to follow a specific diet that limits fermentable types of carbohydrates. So th these are things like onions, garlic, you know, beans, um, starchy foods can be somewhat troublesome. So you really need to work with somebody to help you with that diet. And then the third piece would be meal spacing. So this is really critical, um, and this is a lifestyle habit I think that people are doing and they don't realize how important it is not to eat between meals. Mm. Um, because we have something in our intestines called a migrating motor complex, right? So this is your, this is your housekeeping sweeper wave. It helps to sweep food through and out so there's no overgrowth. And we get one migrating comp motor complex um, wave every 90 minutes or so. And so ideally we want at least three hours so we get two waves going through, but four to five hours between meals would be even better if, if your blood sugar allows it. And then we do want a non-feeding period overnight, like a 12 hour non-feeding period overnight so that you get as many migrating motor complexes through as you can. And obviously that's going to help sleep too, right? Not eating right before bed is going to be helping sleep. Um, and then the other focus would be to make sure that you are having a bowel movement every day. So, you know, the, it's, a, it's a very step-by-step um, -step kind of approach with the, you know, kind of working to eradicate the overgrowth working with diet, working with meal spacing, making sure there's there's good bowel movements happening. Um, and Anne, you know, e even though there's so much research and talk about uh, intermittent fasting, maybe not long period, but at least 12, 13 hours and giving space between meals, the truth is that a large number of people are also eating every two hours because they believe that that's the approach towards weight loss um, and don't give importance to the spacing itself. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Um, and um, I do want to actually ask you if um, somebody could be triggering 
SIBO uh, with certain lifestyle. We did talk about maybe eating too often, but are there certain diet and lifestyle habits that could predispose somebody towards SIBO and gut issues? And are there certain diet and lifestyle practices that somebody could be um, following which can actually predispose them towards SIBO? Because we did talk about eating too often, maybe that's a factor, but anything else? Yes, yeah, so I would say very simply, not chewing enough, right? Not chewing enough, people rushing. I would say um, the lifestyle habit that really runs us into trouble is we're, we're rushing all the time. We um, basically, we don't allow ourselves to create an environment where we can really digest our food. We can't increase our acid that way. We're not increasing our digestive enzymes that way. We're affecting motility. So rushing and not chewing enough, not being present enough with our meals. I mean, it's very simple, but really effective. And that's why we have to go back to like square one things with people and look at how are they eating? Are they grabbing and going? Are they eating while they're doing work? Are they, are they, you know, eating in the car type of thing? So that I would say is, it's pretty basic, but number one, um, and then sleep, we talked about just, you know, how sleep is affecting everything because it raises cortisol and in cortisol levels, high cortisol levels will um, cause the gut to be permeable. We talked about the antacids and the PPIs, but then if we, we look at sort of some of the diet trends, right? So a lot of people are on the keto diet bandwagon. Um, and I see a lot of people come to me with gut issues after starting on that because we know that diet includes a lot of fat and protein. And if you're not able to break that down well, you're going to have digestive issues, but then more of those downstream issues like causing leaky gut if you're not able to break things down and move bacteria out. So these are some of the trends I think we have to be careful of. Um, and, and it needs to be very, very uh, bio-individualized. Uh, we can also run into the same problem with all plant diets. Mm. If you are on, um, if you've got SIBO, right? Because SIBO oftentimes until you've healed, it, it's hard to break down those types of fibers. So um, we can't just, be very dogmatic and this is the, you know, be on this diet or be on this diet, it has to work for your bio-individuality. So I would say that. And then um, the other trend that I'm seeing is just higher foods that are just higher in oxalates. And oxalates can also be a trigger for leaky gut as well. So people are just using a lot more of the higher oxalate foods like spinach and chia seeds and almonds and, you know, the nut butters. So um, these are some of the things that um, I see in my practice that can be um, causing some symptoms. And Anne, you did mention if somebody's predominantly plants and plant-based, but a plant-based diet is also by default a high oxalate diet many, many times. Uh, 
right? So without realizing you're eating all these oxalate foods. And the, and the fiber may be too much for you too, right? Yes. So you're kind of getting a double whammy, um, which even though they're healthy, they just may not be healthy for you at that time in your healing period, right? It doesn't mean no forever. It means let's back up and see, you know, what the physiology can handle and work from there. And I think there's also the aspect that I just came across somebody today who has been on a low FODMAP diet for the last few years because she saw on Google that this is the approach to take if you have IBS. Uh, and um, what you are talking about is that, again, that's a therapeutic diet which needs to be done cautiously, maybe monitored by somebody because they can induce their own deficiencies, probably not meant to be done at a stretch for two years or several years. So um, do you have any thoughts on that? I do. So um, this is a problem because I think people are you know, they're, they're self-prescribing these diets, right? Or they find that they just feel better and then they become afraid to start to expand the diet. So these diets were meant to be done long-term there and you really need to go into them with, this is therapeutic, we're using it for a short period of time. And then you really need to be working with someone. This is hard to do on your own because you just don't know, how do I progress? How much do I progress? And with SIBO, it's all about quantity. You can have more of a variety, but just smaller amounts. So you really need to be working with someone that knows, let's bring this in, let's bring this in, but we don't need to bring in, you know, a half a plate of broccoli, but you could maybe do a couple pieces of broccoli and then we can do other things as well. So I think that's a real pitfall. Um, when we start to go down these, um, these dietary paths and then we're, we actually can become afraid. I see that there's just fear of moving outside those lines. And then um, it can also lead to some disordered eating too, right? So it's, it's something that I think you really do need to work with someone, not apply it to yourself and recognize that if you have been on a low FODMAP for a year, two years, are absolutely changing your microbiome and we need fiber in order to feed our good gut bacteria to help it grow which helps protect our immune system so it's it's um i think it's something that we have to be really aware of what we're doing and work with somebody that can help us work through that we don't want to be on these diets long term and Anne, I know you mentioned antimicrobial pharmaceuticals. I know we can't get to all of that, but uh, what would a diet for somebody who's going through SIBO or having leaky gut, what would it look like? Could you just describe it a little bit before we conclude? Sure. You know, I would say for you know, one of the most healing foods, and it's, it's individual. Some people with SIBO can tolerate this, some people can't tolerate this. Um, but we would be looking at some healing foods like bone broth. Bone broth is really wonderful healing food for most people. 
Um, again, you may not be able to do a bone broth, but could do a, um, a stock or just a regular um, chicken broth um, for the gut. But uh, bone broth is wonderful because it's got the gelatin and the collagen. It really helps to repair the gut. Um, and specific fibers, um, you wouldn't, for SIBO, you wouldn't be doing too many um, prebiotic foods. If you didn't have SIBO, however, um, the prebiotic foods that really act like fertilizer to the good gut bacteria would be the onions and garlic and um, asparagus, underripe bananas are really good. Um, the legumes are good, the chicory root, the dandelion root and Jerusalem artichokes. For SIBO, it's going to be much um, less of those types of vegetables. Um, you can still have, there's a, there's a wonderful list on SIBOinfo.com um, a specific food guide um, that's that's terrific, but you'll be focusing more on the proteins and the fats with very specific carbohydrate foods um, will help to repair the gut. But for everyone else, we've got these wonderful things like bone broth, um, fermented foods are wonderful. And those prebiotic foods, I think, are key to really building up good gut bacteria. You mentioned gelatin um, uh, and is part of bone broth. I want to just quickly ask you if um, you actually use gelatin in some form, which maybe uh, kids could have as well, because I know those are things that are um, easy to even give your kids. So could you share a way that we can use gelatin to support um, gut health? Sure, so you could make little gelatin gummies. Um, so you can, there's so many wonderful recipes on um, just taking gelatin and mixing it with some, you know, just like some juice, some, um, some type of juice, and then uh, allowing that to gel. And that's a wonderful way to start um, for kids, especially it's an easy way for them to get some good Gut healing. So I like using the gummies or the gummy drops. Yeah. Thanks, Anne. So I know we are almost out of time. I wish we could speak for much longer. Is there anything that you feel you missed out regarding leaky gut, SIBO, gut health, sleep? Yeah, I, I not really. I think we've we've covered most of the areas. And I would just say that. Um, you know, going back to stress, I think that's one of the most important things that we need to be thinking about because it's so disruptive to sleep um, and it affects every body system. It drives cortisol, it keeps us awake and anxious. And I think over time it can really become catabolic. So we know that um, this can drive inflammation and inflammation is one of root causes of all chronic illnesses today. So I would say just to kind of circle back to that stress piece, um, how important that is. I was just going to ask you, what do you think is the biggest root cause of poor sleep? But I think you answered that beautifully. And I can't let you go without finishing our mantra. So if sleep is the new medicine, then how would you complete it for us? Right, so then I would go back to, we need to figure out how to manage stress. 
right? We need to bring it to the forefront and we need to educate our kids in the importance of this and give them tools. I think we need to bring it into the curriculums. Um, and because stress is, is causing so much anxiety in our kids and in our teens, it's becoming epidemic. So I think sleep and stress management are really key to bring us to a place where we can really heal on every level. I think that's so important. And because we don't quite think about this unless children enter some sort of a troubled phase and then there's so much going on, but you're so right that we have to actually start educating our little kids on how it's, you don't have to be in that state. And we need to learn to recognize when our, even our little kids are having bouts of anxiety or feeling that high levels or give them a space where they can actually express so that it doesn't stay somewhere within. Where can people find you, Anne? So you can find me on Anne Lemons Wellness. That's everything, my website, my Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube. Um, very easy, Anne Lemons Wellness. Thank you, Anne, for your time. And uh, everyone, go check out Anne's work on Instagram because she's got great tutorials. She's amazing. She just shines on social media, and I just love watching her videos. Oh, thank you, Deepa. It was so much fun to be here today. Really enjoyed it. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com
It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. 